This year, independent publisher and other stories celebrate 10 years of contemporary publishing, which has brought many translated works to English readers for the first time. One of those books, published in 2015, was by Mexican novelist Yuri Herrera and translated by Lisa Dillman. It went on to win the Best Translated Book Award the following year. Ironic, given that it had been considered by some to be untranslatable. In this episode, we'll discover how it was created, how that translation was achieved, and why the reading of translated works is so crucial to being a better reader and perhaps even a better person too. This is how we made Signs Preceding the End of the World. Signs is ostensibly a novel of migration, of one woman's journey from Mexico to the US to find her brother, and also of how these journeys change us. I began by asking Yuri about where his unique take on this familiar story had come from. Well, Signs Preceding the End of the World is the second, is the first novel that I published in English, but is the second novel that I published in, in Spanish. Before that, I have published Trabajos del Reino, Kingdom Cons in, in English, in, uh, in Mexico, like four years before, something like that. Um, so this, this was my second novel, and I have been thinking about a, a couple of, of things for, for a while. Um, I have been thinking about that I wanted uh, to tell a story that had to do with certain things that I have been living at, at that point, you know, the, the migrating, the migration experience. And at the same time, I had been thinking that there was this narrative that I wanted to use as a matrix, as a, as a frame for the story, which is the, the narrative, the Mexica narrative of the descent to Mictlan. These two things have been in my mind for a while, but I have been postponing and postponing this. Now, uh, after writing Kingdom Cons, I wrote some other uh, short, really short novel, and I showed it to Julian and Paca, my editors in Periferica, and they, they really hated it, <laughs> or at least they didn't like it, and they were really clear about it. And it was one of the best things that could have happened to me because in, in that moment, I decided that I was going to do the other project that I had been thinking and that it was going to be something really well thought, you know, and well planned. I decided to do this, to, to put these two ideas together, a, a, a story about people traveling, people migrating, people changing uh, and with 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 the voyage and to use the structure of the the descent to Mictlan. So the, the thing is this um, among the Mexica, what are usually known as the Aztecs, among the Mexica, there were at least three places where you would go after dying. One was the Ilhuicactonatiu, which is a place where the warriors would, would go after, um, after dying, or the, the women who died in labor because they were considered like they died in the middle of a, of a battle. There was the Tlalocan, which is a place where the people who died by water in, in different ways would go there and... Um, Apparently, it was a really nice place. And then there is Mictlan, which is the, what people usually know as the land of the dead. 
and is where you would go if you died of old age, accident, or uh, some other regular uh, disease. And to get there, you would have to go through nine underworlds. In each one of them, you would start stripping of your humanity until you get to the last one, and you are part of this sort of uh, silent, uh, dark space where everything is being recreated again and again and again. So it's not reincarnation. It's not uh, something like that. It's, it's, it's a different thing. So anyway, so what I w wanted to do then is to write a story that you could read as a sort of realistic depiction of a voyage in which someone is someone is uh, discovering things about the places where she's going and discovering things about herself. And, but also you can read it symbolically as the trip of someone to the land of the death. I did a lot of research, not, not as part of the information of the novel, but just to have, to have it consistent to the different symbols that I was using, the different, the different uh, um, points of reference that I was using there. And this is something that the reader doesn't have to know but that helped me to give some um, some volume and some consistency to the story. Language is absolutely crucial to this novel, and we'll come to the translation itself a bit later. But in Makina, you have a character who speaks many languages and dialects, and this is something which gives her power in delivering messages from place to place. Can you tell me a bit about that dynamic? Yeah, well, uh, Makina is a translator, is a translator of, of languages, and it's a and with them she is a translator of realities. She lives in the, in this kind of crossroads uh, where you have a, a really small small town with people coming from the metropolis in other places. So it's it's a place where she has to deal with different ways of understanding uh, understanding the world. And for me, this was also an opportunity to do some some thinking about. Um, how I understand language and and how I understand it in the context of of my work, I think that we have the the great opportunity to think with the with language as it is changing. You know, sometimes people think of literary language as something that is established, that is respectable, that was created in some other time, and that we we just profit from it. And the thing is, literary language is something that is, by definition, all the time changing because you are receiving different kinds of, of uh, influences, you know, your readings and the social media and the people you know on the street. And for me, that was an important thing to, to reflect on, on, on my story and to reflect on Makina, who is someone that is all the time adjusting herself to the problems she, she faces, to the challenges that, that she's facing. And uh, language is something that, that uh, it's one of the tools with which you, you survive in this kind of world. You know? To begin to look at the translation of this book into English, we hear now from publisher Stefan Tobler, who recalls how this troubled text came to his hands. It's funny, actually, just before we talked, I thought I'd go and have a look back in my... my inbox and see where Yuri Herrera first pops up and interestingly he pops up in a conversation I was having with Rosalind Harvey who translated our very first 
the very first book we published, Down the Rabbit Hole, by Villa Lobos for us. And it was because we were having a reading group to consider potential books. And she just happened to mention, sort of by the by, that she'd been reading some books very quickly for reports for other publishers, including a Argenti- Argentinian crime novel, a Catalan novel, and two brilliant novels by Yuri Herrera. And that was the first mention. Um, that was back 2010. I hadn't heard of him then. And in, in fact, very quickly, um, the people who had heard of him were bidding on him. And it was bought, uh, and it's an open, it's no, it's no secret that it was bought by Faber, who had it up on their website, ready to publish in 2011. Um, but when the translations came in, the editor was was not convinced this was going to work in English, and uh, and so yeah, that was the second mention in my inbox of Yuri Herrera, where Villa Lobos, who also a Mexican writer, had been saying to me, oh, there's this great Mexican writer Herrera, his books coming out in English too. Let's do joint events when when my book launches with the very first and other stories events in August 2011. Um, but then they never happened and then the books never came out. And then, and then, and then we realized and we heard the story of what had happened. And uh, so we had a look and we thought this is absolutely amazing writer. And yes, there's some interesting stuff going on with language, but it's not because it's not translatable. It's because the original is, is really, uh, challenging the reader in, in fun ways. And for example, there's a word which at first, whether you're a Spanish reader or an English reader, you'll be a bit like, what's, what's, what's that word doing there? And, uh, and then it's a word which gains, gains the meaning through the course of the books. And then by the end of the book, it's completely slotted into place for you. And you've got a a word that has acquired this new meaning in English. Um, um, but, it, you know, the, I think the experience in Spanish would be similar because he took a medieval word that no one would have known. Um, so, yeah, it's it's always more fun to do the books that people say are untranslatable. The word in question appears in English as verse. And if I was to get up now and cross the room, I would verse the room. Here to explain more about why this word was so crucial to get right within the book is translator Lisa Dillman, who rather fittingly was in transit between two countries when we got the chance to speak to each other. Um, That was actually a a really big challenge. And, you know, it's sort of one of of many of the words that he uh, invents. And it's it's central to the book, and it's been and it's been something that that Yuri himself has spoken about on multiple occasions. And uh, I think you know if you if you look at the etymology, as it were, of um, the original, he uh, sort of invents the verb harchar, um, which is taken from harchas, right? Which were these. Uh, Mozarabic couplets um, tacked onto the end of poems, and 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 essentially in the context, uh, the word simply means leave. Um, but philosophically speaking, you know the, these Mozarabic couplets, you know they are the end of uh, a more traditional poem. They are also a new language because they're not actually written in. Arabic, um, you know, there's just a, a number of factors that are all combined here. And um, although it's not a word in Spanish, 
um, it's something that could be read readily uh, just assumed um, essentially by Spanish morphology, right? It's because, you know, you, you, you have the verb ending um, and you, you, can, you can play in Spanish in a way that's slightly more difficult in English, lexically speaking, because we just say, you know, I go, you go, they go, right? <laughs> to go, right? Whereas Spanish, you just change the ending and it becomes clear um, what's happening, who's doing it, what tense from, from a purely lexical stance. So all of those factors were involved. And I spent quite honestly, probably months, um, you know, brainstorming, racking my brains, miniature, you know, forcing my friends into miniature focus groups, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and I just, you know, I, I, I knew that all of those characteristics that were inherent in the Spanish couldn't be inherent in the English by definition. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to do something that sort of paid homage in the sense of, of poetry. Um, and I don't actually recall how the, the, the word verse finally made it into my brain, but the thing that, that made it win out over the others, I think was the kind of polysemy that you have in the sense that standalone verse, you know, is, is what comprises poems, right? Um, but it can quite easily be turned into a verb by, you know, sticking a D on the end, he versed, she versed, etc. cetera. Um, and also being a morpheme that is quite involved in movement. Um, so I think in a sense, what I did was to um, exchange the, the Arabic side of things, which doesn't occur from the English, and kind of sub in um, a word that connotes movement and motion, which is so central to Makina in the story, right? Because you have all these, you know, traverse, reverse, inverse, etc. all of these things that, that um, imply moving or crossing. This leads to the question of how an author and translator work together, or not, in the act of translation. Yuri and Lisa tell their own story. All translators have their own MOs. Um, I have good friends who are excellent translators who do not contact the authors ever because, um, you know, at the end of the day, a translation does need to be an autonomous text. Um, it's got to it's got to hang together and work in the English. I um, do tend to contact authors who I'm translating if they are amenable to that. It was great. I only involve in the translation if the translator translators ask me to do it. I don't try to 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 control the translation. I'm not I'm not um, breathing on the back of the neck of the translators. I'm not that kind of person. But if a translator wants to wants me to get involved, I will do it as much as they ask ask me to do. And I'm tremendously relieved and grateful that Yuri was amazingly generous. Um, and I, you know, we spoke on the phone. We, I emailed daily, sometimes with, you know, dozens of, of queries in each email. 
and Lisa was that kind of translator that she really wanted to have a, a constant dialogue, you know, not only to to get it right, certain expressions that she would ask me about the, the specific meaning of, of something, but also to get the whole the whole intention and the effect, effect and and the poetics of, of the book beyond the the specific words to, to, to translate because I have always thought and, and with uh, with Lisa it's, it's really clear that translation is rewriting is recreation it's not just a transcription into a, into a different language and specifically with this book in which I use certain words that are really old and some to, and certain words that I just uh, play with them, this required a lot of imagination to create the solutions that, uh, that were not obvious in the book. And, and so it was great. We had a, a lot of communication. Um, I believe we got to meet up twice in person in the course of this translation. And, and, it, and it's wonderful because it's actually turned into a friendship. I mean, I, you know, I just, uh, day before yesterday, I just handed in the translation of his fifth book to end other stories. And so over the course of, of time, through, <laughs> through queries, um, we've actually become friends, which is really rewarding. One thing that can transform the fortunes of a book is a review. And Science got an absolute cracker in The Guardian from cultural journalist and critic Maya Jaggi. She provides some insight into the qualities and hidden depths she saw on display. Well, I think there are two stages to, to my role, because one was to suggest the book to The Guardian. Um, and I think people might be a little interested in how that happens, because I was, um, I'd been a profile writer and, and reviewer for The Guardian and was now freelance. So I suggested it to the editor, um, who was open to my suggestions, but it wasn't that someone came to me and said, can you just review this book? Uh, and had already decided that, that this was a book. And I knew of it because it had been very influential for other writers who I knew about. Um, it was being talked about by Francisco Goldman, by Daniel Alarcon, Jorge Volpi of the crack generation Mexicans and so on. So I asked to review it. Um, and when I, when I found it, what struck me most forcibly about this very slim novel was that it was working on many levels and it was dense with illusions. So from the very first scene, which is a sinkhole in a kind of silver mining town in Mexico, um, it's based on real mine tunnels that collapse as, as they have done. But it's also metaphorical, it's mythological, it's the underworld, which is a kind of gangster world, and also drug barons and their henchmen. And the other amazing thing about this is, is the, the passages which actually take you across the, the, the river, the Rio Grande, to the other side, um, to, to crossing into a, another world, which is, of course, from the south to the north, from from the, the the global south to the superpower uh, in the north, but it's also from from death to a kind of rebirth, uh, and it's it's also into death really. Uh, so all these levels are working at the same time in a kind of transition, a translation, which 
makes this so exciting. And the, and the 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 wonderful heroine uh, Makina says um, one of the first things she says is I'm dead, and another thing she says is I've been skinned, which is a, the process of losing your name, your home, your family, your country, and becoming someone else, which this novel ultimately makes into something new and exciting, not in a glib or anodyne way. It's full of pain and death and and the atrocity of that border. But ultimately, it's the creation of something new. And it's incredible that all of these things that you mentioned come from such a slim book. Well, I think you bring a lot to it. Each reader, as I think Yuri Herrera says in the new preface to his his um, collection of three novels, each reader is bringing themselves into the creation of the shape of this novel. And I, of course, as a, as a reader, was bringing not simply my reading of Latin American literature, and you know, I'd done a lot of profiling of of writers like Carlos Fuentes and Isabel Allende and Ariel Dorfman and so on, but also my knowledge of the larger world of migrant literature from Sam Salvon to, to Salman Rushdie. So you're, you're very aware of that. And there is, specifically in terms of Mexico, there's an inescapable homage to Juan Rufo's um, Pedro Paramo, which is this 1955, also very slim very resonant classic now, which um, this book is obviously um, speaking to because it begins with a mother's quest to find someone, in this case, uh, the heroine's brother. In the case of Pedro Paramo, it's, it's looking for a father. And then this borderline between life and death and the living and the dead. Um, in the earlier novel, it's it's from the countryside to the town, but here, of course, it's from south to north and moving, moving country. But that all of that resonates um, and and makes this a very rich novel, and particularly the the linguistic registers which uh, kind of reflect that sort of uh, contrast between the different the the mythological and the dirty real, the gangsters and and the and the river sticks, which, of course, the, the translator, Lisa Dillman, has captured so wonderfully. As mentioned previously, Science went on to win the Best Translated Book Award in 2016. How was that for publisher and translator? Oh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, uh, the, the Best Translated Book Award is, is a, an award run uh, in the US from uh, a university press called Open Letter, which has been a great trailblazer in bringing more translations around. And they open it to pretty much any book's first translation into English. So in 20, let me see, it was 20, it was for the 2016 award this was up. And it was up against, I think, I mean, amazing books, like the collected stories of Clarice Lispector. And I, I mean, just such such great depth of, of literature to win it was was uh it was an amazing surprise and um yeah and and then and and really great vindication too for the translator who you know as, as we said um previous publishers had thought it was it was not a translatable book so yeah thankfully we had the right judges who who um and and that was by then the book was already on its way it had had great reviews and and great critical attention 
and people were starting to adopt it for university teaching. Um, and it just really, yeah, I think the, the price felt like the icing on the cake. Um, it was astonishing, really. Um, I, I, uh, I, I don't remember why, but I was not able to, to attend the ceremony and I had zero expectation um, of winning. Uh, and um, I found out because uh, a friend tweeted something and I had, um, you know, I, I had actually, I was so, so convinced that I had no chance that I wasn't really, you know, kind of by the minute paying attention sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I can't, I, I, I can't describe the elation there. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's such a, it's such a moving book. It's so prescient. I feel that, you know, it doesn't matter what year it is. It seems to be increasingly relevant all of the time. So, so yeah, I, it was, it was just truly, truly gobsmacking and wonderful. And why is translation so important? Is it perhaps to do with using reading to see and feel cultures other than our own? Maya Jaggi. Well, you can do that through English, but this is that's really only one way. English has become a world language, so people think they have access to everything through this, this one language. It's simply not true. And I think um, we have to put ourselves in the hands of some very wonderful translators who will find metaphors. I mean, it's, it's a process of, of, of translation which is not literal. It's literary translation. They will find a way to, and you can read the very um, excellent uh, pieces by Lisa Dillman um, in, the, in the new compendium on the process of translation. So um, they'll, they'll find a way. Sometimes it works. Sometimes um, in this case it does and other times it doesn't. But very often um, it, it will show you a completely different world, not only different perspectives, but different linguistic worlds. And let, let's remember that in Mexico we're not just talking about Spanish. We're talking about a whole um, Amerindian and Mesoamerican um, range of cultures that's brought to bear, for example, the myths, the Aztec myths that are also there alongside Odysseus and Orpheus. We, we've got a lot of allusions here um, through the language. And there are various registers that, that you can also, you don't have to be aware of, but you can be alive to the way this is one moment like a fairy tale then it's like a myth then it's like a kind of gangster story and that's that's the translator's skill. We mentioned earlier that Makina's knowledge of language and communication gave her an upper hand in the world. I also finally got around to watching The Queen's Gambit recently and chess prodigy Beth Harmon's learning of Russian gives her if not an advantage at least a better defence against her opponents at the highest levels. Does the reading of translated fiction give us as readers a similar advantage when engaging with the world? That's that's a brilliant that's a brilliant comment, Will. I really like that. Um, I I think you're right. I think I think by experiencing other cultures, whether that's learning another language or or reading things from other places, we are yeah we are we are giving ourselves that that sort of advantage in life that is 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 yeah is pretty invaluable really to. Um, not not just to be able to beat uh, beat Russian chess players, although that's probably a quite quite a that's not, not no mean feat. Um, 
but also just to to understand different ways of life and that and that really helps us I think doesn't it when we're sometimes when we reach a, a point where we're stuck in our lives or in the way we see the world and to realize that there are other ways people live and other ways of being that can yeah give us ways past blockages we might have got to or um yeah that that's certainly the way it feels to me that I mean there's some it's just yeah it's just the world is is endlessly there various and uh, just people's ways of living are so there's so many and it's just um it's a shame just to read books by <laughs> middle-class Londoners and why do it <laughs> And how about the new publication of Yuri's three novels together this month? Oh, I'm I'm really glad we've got the opportunity now to to bring it out with the three novels as as one book, um, and and we've made it actually our hundredth book coming out in our tenth anniversary month because it it is a it, it does mean so much to us the, these three novels of of Yuri's. Um, I'm really I'm really happy that it's that these three are coming out together partly because. Science Preceding the End of the World has been such a, a word-of-mouth success, and, and I think a lot of people have already read it, but they haven't necessarily come across the other two, uh, not, not, not in the same numbers, they, although they've done well. And the other two present different sides to Yuri's writing, which I think people are going to really enjoy. There's, there's a, the, while, the, while there are words that are made up and there's, there's some slanginess in Signs preceding the end of the world, like I said, you know, calling English Anglo and things like that. There's there's much more of that playfulness in uh, Kingdom Cons, for example, and also in the transmigration of bodies, and and that there is so there is some uh, you know there's a new side there. Then some of the where he's using say the underpinnings of different indigenous myths in Signs preceding the end of the world. He uses different historical layers to to underlay other other stories. So in the transmigration of bodies, you've got two feuding families, and you you know you have to think of Romeo and Juliet, among other stories there. And in um, two feuding families, and also a body to be delivered. It's a, it's a pandemic um, that that one, the transmigration of bodies. And in Kingdom Cons, uh, a drug lords. Uh, palatial home and entourage becomes a the court of a medieval king uh, complete with you know complete with jester and and entertainers and and it's uh, and that sort of linking of the past to the present is something that people i think are going to really enjoy reading if they haven't read kingdom cons yet and for yuri looking back on this novel with some hindsight how does he feel well um I feel good about it for different reasons. I have never read it uh, from beginning to end to the end again, you know. But I have read it many times, many chapters, just when I do readings on, or or, or uh, things like that. And I I still like it a lot, and I think that it's still saying something very important about uh, our times. Uh, maybe it is sounds bad that, that, that I'm saying this, but. Uh, and I don't know if it's very important, but I feel that it's still saying something that is relevant in uh, in our present-day discussions, you know. Migration is one of the big events of our times. 
and it has uh, and it will become even more dramatic in the in the times to come due to climate change you know um, and in artistic terms I I like that is a is a book where I was able to at the same time follow certain fixed ideas and also play a lot with with language and I uh, and I I am satisfied about that Three Novels by Yuri Herrera is published by And Other Stories this week. Huge thanks to Stefan Tobler, Yuri Herrera, Lisa Dillman and Maya Jaggi for helping us to tell this particular one. If you haven't already, do listen to the episode in our other series about another And Other Stories publication, Keeping the House by Tija Jin. <laughs>